Money FM 89.3, best of drive time. It's now time to take a look at headlines out of Europe in our Eurowatch segment. And, of course, Italy is headlining news out of Europe this week, marking the death of ex-Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi with a spectacle befitting the grand soap opera (laughs) of Mr. Berlusconi's life. Yeah, we reported in the news how the death of uh, Mr. Berlusconi would send shockwaves through his Forza Italia party, a member of Italy's right-wing coalition. But analysts believe it could provide a chance for Prime Minister Giorgia Meloni to strengthen her leadership. So what's next uh, for Italy's coalition after the death of Berlusconi? We will find out shortly. Mm, okay, uh, what else are we looking at? The 26th St. Petersburg's International Economic Forum kicking off today in Russia. The so-called Russian Davos. Uh, what to expect this year? Chris Humphrey, Executive Director, EU ASEAN Business Council, is on the line with us. Chris, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well, thank you. Okay, Chris, let's start off with uh, Silvio Berlusconi. Mm. Of course, he died earlier this week at the age of 86. A very colorful political character, not just in (laughs) Italy, not just in Europe, but all over the world. What sort of legacy does this man leave behind? That's a very good question. As the English would say, he was a very interesting character. And of course, that's a double-edged sword as a comment. I think the most interesting thing, actually, is if you look at some of the comments coming out from the Italian political scene, his friends, of course, are praising him and saying what a great person he was. Even his political opponents mm. have good words to say about him as well. So even if they disagreed, the people like Romano Prodi just did not get on with him in the political terms. Even he had nice things to say about him as a, as a human being. He was larger than life. Let's be quite honest about it. Yeah. The bunga bunga parties, of course, <laughs> the corruption allegations. But he shook up Italian politics. He was an Italian prime minister for longer than many Italian prime ministers are. And it's longer than two weeks that so you could make a joke out of it. But he was Italian PM for a number of years. So yeah. he does have a political legacy there. He does leave behind his party, Forza Italia, which is part of the coalition of the, of the current government. So he, he's created a legacy in the country. Um, is it fair to say, as, as people were saying before, that this man embodied what the Italian man is all about <laughs> or want to be? I mean, he was, uh, you know, he was just being a man, and yet he kept winning elections after elections, despite being, you know, politically incorrect and all that. Yeah, well, uh, if he was a politician in other countries in Europe, particularly in the UK, he would not have had the longevity that he had. Um, I think he just shows a, a different approach on various different issues in different countries. So he was a President Donald Trump before Donald Trump. <laughs> I mean, and he's got a, a heck of a business mind uh, and it's something that's worth looking at. I mean, Chris, you're a football fan yourself. Um, Silvio Berlusconi was the ex-owner of AC Milan when it was at its peak. And this guy originally thought of uh, things like the Super League. So what happens from here? I mean, he's got other businesses like real estate, insurance, TV advertising, so many. Yeah, he's got a huge, a huge empire there. And as far as I understand it, his daughter Marina is the one actually has been running the empire for the main part in more recent years. I'm pretty sure her and her siblings will be taking over the operations of the company. So I think the, the company business itself is, is probably in sound hands going forward. But you're right, the interests are diverse. Everything from media through to sporting franchises in more recent years, by the way, on the soccer front. Mm. He owned Monza. He owned Monza and got the lap to Syria Okay, uh, so one last thing about Mr. Berlusconi. Where does Italian politics, where does his party go from here? Well, that is an interesting one because, as I understand it, Forza Italia was being bankrolled by the Berlusconi family and there's no sign yet that he's 
his children want to move into politics. In fact, his daughter Marina, the, the one that's running most of the business operations, has made it very clear she likes running a business. She doesn't want to be in politics. Mm. So there's money apparently owed by Forza Italia to the Berlusconi family, whether they call that debt in or not. It doesn't matter. They call the debt in. Also, Italian money will be struggling. All right, Chris, let's move on to talk about this year's economic forum of uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin in St. Petersburg, kicking off, uh, well, June 14th. So it's it's June 15th here, but uh, it's still June 14th in Europe, I suppose, at night, often dubbed as the Russian Davos. The forum is celebrating its 26 years amid geopolitical tensions. What is going to be the agenda at this flagship economic forum? Where do we start? I suspect the agenda is going to be very different to the way it was 26 years ago. Oh, dear. This, this agenda is going to be very uh, focused on we're Russia, we're still important, we still have a place in the world, and the guest list is going to be the friends of Putin. So client states like Belarus, hmm. former Soviet republics like all the Stans, well, I'm sure they'll all be there. Chinese may turn up at some form or other as well. But you're not going to get the broader range of business leaders and politicians from across the globe that he may have once have attracted. So what will this uh, meeting set to achieve, though? Uh, I think a good outcome for President Putin would be we are still a player on the world stage. Mm, okay. What about Russia's um, potential refocus on non-Western countries, you know, uh, sort of avoiding international economic isolation? I know you, you just mentioned that, you know, the ultimate outcome would be to still say that Russia is at the world stage, perhaps uh, in a different sense, maybe? Energy, would this be brought up? Well, you've just seen uh, uh, exports of Russian crude oil into Pakistan. Pakistan needed oh, more yeah. oil, it needed it cheap. Russia supplied it to them. So that probably shows you where their focus is going to be. We all know they've been supplying gas and oil into China. Yeah. They'll look to do it to other countries who are still willing to do business with them. Well, as the Indian Prime Minister said, you know, they're standing on their own interests. They're, they're, they're taking the side of their yeah. own uh, economic yeah. interests. So nothing wrong with that. Uh, let's move on to Germany. It uh, unveiled its first ever national security strategy uh, in Berlin as part of efforts to address growing threats um, to Germany. <laughs> so what should we be expecting from this new security strategy? Well, the new security strategy will say, no shock, Russia is our greatest threat. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, Russia will say, you know, German tanks are facing our borders again. Something like that. I think the strategy will, although, as I understand it, look at some broader things. It will look at, like, engagement with China, and it will say things like we need a more balanced approach with China, which is probably in line with what people like President Macron has been saying in Mm. France as well. And it's also going to then say security threats aren't just nation-state issues. They are things like climate change. Mm. Climate change is a security threat because climate change is going to cause droughts. It's going to cause floods. It's going to have an impact on our supply chains. And therefore, that is a security threat as well. But the document itself does not give a great deal of detail about what they're going to do about all these threats. As they, as they put them, or, or their approach on foreign policy or on climate change policy and how things might develop. All right. Uh, Chris, let's uh, take it back to your homeland, uh, Britain's COVID-19 inquiry. Uh, what's this about? Apparently, it's going to carry out the first in-depth investigation into what happened during the COVID crisis. I feel like saying we've all moved on, but uh, what are you looking forward to here? Have we all moved on? <laughs> I would hope it will do something similar to the one we had here in Singapore. Actually, okay, it, will look, okay. it will look back at how the whole thing was handled, the approaches that were taken, right. lessons that could be learned, what we can do better in the future. Because we all know there will be another pandemic at some point. It's yeah. only a question of when, unfortunately. So I would hope it's going to take a non-political view about 
what was done well, what mm. could have been done better, what was the messaging, mm. how do we go about with the communications, etc., etc. I do suspect, though, given the way of UK politics at the moment and party gate and which hunts against individual politicians, that it may become much more political than that. Yeah, I was just going to say, there's a risk of it being a blame game as well, with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak having to call an election next year. Yes, and so the timing of the uh, report coming out could be quite interesting. If the report comes out and says the government got the following items completely wrong and didn't follow their own rules and really should be taken to task, Mm. then it'll be a very tough one for Sunak. All right, we've been speaking with Chris Humphrey, who is Executive Director, EU ASEAN Business Council. Chris, we do appreciate your time. Take care and have a great Thursday evening. Brilliant. Thank you very much. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.